Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new episode of Stories from Space Podcast, where your host, Matthew Williams, examines the history of human spaceflight, the breakthroughs that revolutionized our understanding of the universe and our place in it, and the brave individuals who work tirelessly to advance the frontiers of our understanding. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. The authors acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Lekwungen peoples. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Stories from Space. I'm your host, Matt Williams. And today, joining me in the booth is Mackley Carroll, who is the Deputy Executive Director of the Space Court Foundation. Uh, Mackley, welcome to the show. Thanks, Matt. It's nice to be here. Nice to have you on. Now, listeners may recall in a previous episode, we had other members of the Space Court Foundation on, and they were speaking about what they will be doing this year in Paris. Mackley is uh, here with us today to discuss their other efforts, their other outreach, and why this is extremely important in today's world, where we find ourselves in a sort of renewed space age and with new opportunities to do it better and to do it right. So is that a fair assessment of, of your efforts of what the Space Court Foundation does? Yeah, that's a spot on assessment because like we're all about promoting and supporting the rule of space law education because, you know, a lot of people don't know space law even existed or space law has been a thing. Space law has been around since at least the 1960s from the Outer Space Treaty of 1967. So uh, it's very important for us to promote and put this out there. And on top of that, what Space Court does that I think is really cool is our internship program. We give students around the world the opportunity to engage in space law because it's one thing to just push the theory of space law, but it's a completely other thing to actually act on it. So that's something that I'm very proud about that Space Court does. Yeah, and uh, in fact, this goes to the heart of a lot of questions that I, that I have for you today, which is the outreach and the internships and the educational series. When talking to Nathan and Chris last time, we touched on this, but I have a feeling you can tell us so much more. So the shows that you guys do, there is the Stellar Decisis, which is uh, the mock court, the Space Bar Show, and something that is very, very interesting too. This is a major series that you guys recently launched, which is the Women of Color in Space series. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's something that's uh, very, very uh, dear to my heart. The Women of Color Space Series was started by me and my colleague, Navidita, Nivi for short. And the whole focus of that is just to increase accessibility to space law and policy and highlight women of color in the industry. Like, I'm sure a lot of people have seen the hidden figures, you know, like women are very, very important part of the industry. And uh, these women of colors, even to this day, are still trailblazers in the field that a lot of people don't know about. So our whole... Our whole ideal is to just give them the the spotlight that it, that they deserve because they mm-hmm. are unsung heroes in the industry. And well, yeah, for any any listeners who um, haven't seen this uh, this film, Hidden Figures, and it's based off a novel. This uh, credited several pioneering women of color who worked for NASA during the early 1960s. Then, and they were they were computers, and they they performed all manner of math and. 
analysis there, and they they helped the Mercury program and all of its the things that spun off from that Gemini, Apollo, and mm-hmm. yeah, these were and yet there were individuals whom most people could not name or even exactly yeah exactly well so so then the series this is the same idea right we're drawing attention to people who are making a big difference battling greater barriers because just to get there it requires that they have to overcome a lot more than their colleagues Mm -hmm. in terms of like attitudes and access yeah and we encourage them yeah we encourage them to actually talk about and express the difficulties they face as trailblazers in the scene in the field because you know from the outside looking in you always hear about the end of the success stories you don't really hear about the hardships that happen so we think Mm -hmm. that it's really important for people who are interested in the space industry to hear that so the cool thing about the women of color even though we're a space car foundation we focus on space law and policy with this series we actually focus on every part of the space industry so I think that's mm-hmm. it's great work that uh, Nivy and the rest of the Space Corps team have done. The first episode, or the first interview that you guys did, that was with Rivimbo Samanga. And mm-hmm. I, I remember the last time we had a chance to talk, that was sort of imminent. The episode where she was featured and telling her story. And But uh, now there's a series of different women there who were featured who were talked about. Yeah, and they are, let's see, uh, Ale Pacini? Yep, from the, she works with the Women for Space for UNOSA, for the UN. So yeah, mm-hmm. we've had a lot of who's who's in the, in the industry. Yeah. And let me, just to shout out Rumbo, I know she was named CNN's Top Women in Space in Africa. So that's mm-hmm. a, a real great accolade. I know we also had Deepika J. Cody from uh, Airbus, Gina M. Halabi too. Yeah, we've had, it's it's really a who's who's in, in the space industry, and I know we had one of your one of your colleagues, Vera, who did oh. space architecture from Mars Society. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So one of our big videos, one of our most viewed videos. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Vera Mulyani is Mars City Design, and yeah. Well, her her membership is uh, is long and extensive, but yeah. yeah, her her flagship is Mars City Design, and yeah, the mm-hmm. uh, in fact I. Uh, yeah, she she is uh, featured in a, another episode uh, of the series. Yeah, we we had a chance to work together uh, to create a, a a separate podcast about people living on Mars in the future, and that was that was very fun. A few celebrity voiceovers were in there, and nice. Yeah, and and also me for some reason I, I did one character, but uh, you you kind of insist on it there when you're when you're writing these people and trying to bring them to life. It's like I want to do their voice. <laughs> Don't, don't um, sell yourself short, Matt. You're definitely celebrity <laughs> you. in the field too. You know, part of this is history oh. in the making. This is what we're experiencing. Yeah. Okay. Well, you you just gave me the perfect uh, launching point for the next thing. So, so in terms of space law, now you already said it. I, I would say perfectly there. It's like this is something that most people today really know nothing about. If we were to talk to say this, it's like, oh, there's laws in space, and it's like, yes, there are. There are treaties, but. There's so much that we don't yet have, you know, a legal framework for. And mm-hmm. there's so much concern about space becoming some kind of Wild West issue. So, I mean, this was the reason why Space Court was founded, wasn't it? Yes, 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 definitely. Because, yeah, we want to avoid um, like a Wild West. And personally, I think we want to avoid something. We want to avoid a colonialism 2.0. You don't want to have the 
the same problems that we had here on earth occur in space. So it's best mm-hmm. to get in front of that. And you know, something that you see in the space industry is that the rate of technology goes a lot more faster than the laws and regulations. So that's why it's kind of important for us to be placed in front of that right now. Yeah. So would it be fair to say that uh, it's like on the one hand, you guys are looking to try to get all existing space law into one place so that people can know what it is, but at the same time, foster discussion so that the policies that don't yet exist can be formulated? Yes, that's spot on. We actually, when you're talking about placing everything in one space, we've been working on a space law library. So, you know, no matter where you are in the world, because even though there's a big international treaty in the Outer Space Treaty, each country has their own national laws. And that will happen in terms of licensing and uh, liability, even how they handle things like space debris and stuff like that. So each and some countries don't have these laws in place yet. So it's important to see what's happening and where it's happening. And then, you know, you can compare and analogize. So what kind of uh, scenarios would you say? Because this this is what Stellar Decisis does there, right? You have... You have people in these videos there or a court in these videos discussing a recent incident or ruling and they're, and they're arguing right in front of a judge. What do, you, what do you imagine the likely scenarios are going to be like that? So in, in the near future, like with the and, commercialization of low Earth orbit. And just to give uh, the listeners some context, Stellar Decisis takes place in the far future because there actually hasn't been, you know, many actual cases dealing with space yet but you know it will happen um and yeah it could be anything from two satellites crashing into each other and like whose fault is it um is it country a or country b or you could have things when um even you'll see it in our stellar decisis in our actual trailer there's a lunar basis set up and then if an accident happens and it ricochets and causes the chain effect lunar bases which are usually international projects it's like well yeah so with a country A, B, C, or D, who takes responsibility for it? There's a lot of stuff that will probably be happening in the, in the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is a good like, smattering of, uh, of like, the concerns. Now, you, you mentioned space debris earlier and like, orbital space law, and that, that is a major concern. I know I'm constantly seeing people, you know, someone has written about this. They're talking about the situation, and yeah, I see there's a lot of anxiety about that. It's like, oh, God. We need to figure out how we're going to do this before we do it. And um, the moon, I mean, right now, there is a lot of concern about what if China lays claim to this area, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, what if what if anyone does? What if uh, Russia and China, you know, claim certain spots and, and we have to claim other spots? And how's that going to work out? And yeah, mm-hmm. there's a Lula lot of anxiety. Is a big issue. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. And as you know... Um, I'm not sure if your viewers know about or your listeners know about it too. The Artemis Accords is something big that's happening uh, in the space industry. And it's in anticipation of humanity's return to the moon. And, you know, we had Apollo and now we have Artemis, Apollo's sister. It's actually going to bring the first woman on the moon and the first person of color on the moon. So that's something to be really excited for. And like the U.S. is leading that, that front. But we have a lot of countries that have signed on to it, including uh, Japan, Brazil, Luxembourg, a lot of countries. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and I remember last time we talked, Russia had said they wouldn't be signing because they felt it was too U.S. centric. Mm-hmm. They've since they've since partnered with China, 
to say we're going to be doing our own um, our own program, and they called it the International Lunar Research Station. Uh, there's not a lot of details available on what exactly that's going to look like there, but yeah, the fact that they said we're not doing this, and since then, you know, we're going with this. I mean, that too is that a cause for concern? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people in the in the space industry, and people do think there's a, a space war almost brewing. But I think that might be like a, a chicken little sky is falling thing right mm-hmm. now. Like, if you assume positive intent, hopefully some positive things come out of it. Um, the thing is about the moon is like there's limited space on the moon, and that's where you could see there will be some conflict. But I don't see why not. There can be some kind of agreement between everyone who's doing the Artemis party and everyone on the Russia and China side to um, reduce conflict, because that's something we do not want. There's no need for us to bring conflicts from earth to the, to the moon. Like mm-hmm. you can see on the, on the ISS, there's, there's very rarely you hear about any kind of tension on ISS, even though recently things that might have been changing, but you rarely hear about that. Like Russian mm-hmm. astronauts are friendly with American astronauts. So there's no reason why we can't have that kind of uh, relationship on the moon. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up that example because that's that's what came to mind for me. And this being another major development, which I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with, how the Russian invasion of Ukraine has set cooperation in space back uh, considerably. And Rogozin, yeah, the head of uh, Roscosmos there, he's made many multiple boasts and threats online about how Oh, Russia's going to pull out of the ISS. Good luck keeping it up there without us. But uh, yeah, there's no actual indication they're going anywhere. Because, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't, as the propaganda video showed, just close the hatches and and break off. <laughs> you can't yeah. do that. Yeah. yeah um, and and uh, yeah, and of course, so like the Outer Space Treaty, it's something that everyone still seems to believe in, which is that nobody can claim anything because that would just that would be to the detriment of all Mm -hmm, to a shooting match. Yeah. Um, So the other major thing with regards to the moon and space, right, is commercial interests Mm -hmm. Uh, because that is not, I I would say I've argued elsewhere that it is kind of included in the outer space treaty, but it's not spelled out in black and white that, you know, companies can't assert sovereignty or companies can't claim things. And that's become a bit of a concern, too, with the Trump administration's executive order saying that, yeah, companies can lay claim to resources and extract them and sell them. And so, yeah, would it be fair to say that's that's a going concern as well? That is a going concern. It seems like it's almost like a loophole in the Outer Space Treaty, right? Yeah, because the Outer Space Treaty says no country can own anything. A company isn't a country. But then instead of the same time, a company is registered at a home country, right? So mm-hmm. it the Outer Space Treaty does cover that because you're a company is rep- being represented by a country, so that's still in place. But then you know you talk about practicality, actuality versus theory at that point. Mm-hmm. Because if you have the money to set up shop on the moon or Mars, like who's really going to stop you, right? So that's mm-hmm. where concern happens in that in that respect. Yeah. So yeah, that too. That's that's a wild west fear. It's like, well, Elon Musk is definitely going to try to lay claim to to Mars if he can, or parts of it. I, and I recall that was the purpose of the Moon Treaty, right? It, it it specifically said you companies can't lay claim to the Moon, just like countries can't. Uh, 
or, you know, parts thereof. The thing about the Moon Treaty is that most countries or most space-faring countries, you know, the big three, the U.S., Russia, and China didn't sign it. So most people consider mm-hmm. it a failed treaty. You know, yeah. it still exists, though. There's still some good stuff that can be taken from it, but it's one, it's, it's the weakest treaty. It's the weakest link as far as uh, international regulation in space is concerned. Yeah, and that it even says so in the, that executive order there, right? Mm-hmm. We never signed the Moon Treaty. We don't believe in it, so go ahead, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. well, and yeah, I liked that about the Artemis Accords. I felt like uh, NASA was trying to say, you know, by the way, we still believe in the whole no sovereignty, new, neutral thing for all of humanity, you know? So, <laughs> so yeah, don't, don't believe what this order says too much, yeah. But yeah, I like that the Outer Space Treaty has that, there is that sort of implied thing there. Anybody who's operating within a space agency's area is answerable to that government and the government can't make any sovereign claims. So it's like, yeah, really forward thinking. It was really, really beautiful. Like I'm not, you know, there's people who like really love the constitution and are fundamentalists of the constitution. And like, I never really understood that until I got into space law. And then I started Mm -hmm. reading about the outer space treaty. I was like, wow, it's actually a really beautiful document and how it thought about, uh, the future moving forward. Now, when you were talking about about Marth, it reminded me. Do you remember start? There was some news, like maybe one or two years ago, about Starlink's terms and condition, and then they had like there was like a blurb about like even though it's Starlink and you know it's for for internet and the satellites on Earth, there was a blurb about going to Mars and anyone who goes to Mars will be under the jurisdiction of SpaceX. And it's you know some people were scared, but it's really a yeah. Because they can't really, you can't just write international law in your terms and conditions. You can't just yeah, circumvent yeah. it like that. Like, yeah, it, was real, I, it was real funny, though. I totally remember that. Yeah, it's like uh, users must recognize Mars as a free state or whatever. It's like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay, Elon's manifesto here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, in, uh, in fine print, in small print. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a, a very neat thing. And it, it will, all of this is going to make for some very interesting developments moving forward, isn't it? For sure, for sure. Yeah. And, and in fact, the, the conversations that I, that I hear people having from a bunch of different sectors, like, for example, uh, the Kepler Space Institute, they are working on certification for space medicine, which doesn't mm-hmm. exist yet. And that, that's a major question. And, and one of the biggest things is the legal aspects, right? If somebody gets sick on the moon or needs emergency surgery, a doctor, well, they need to be certified with some kind of authority in order to perform surgery and not, you know, be arrested afterwards for in case they made a mistake or whatever. Because, yeah, it's like someone someone's going to want to want that doctor's head because, you know, you you were supposed to save my my person here but uh, didn't and it's like yeah so how can we do something like that because if if they can't legally perform surgery or medical practices then well they may choose not to right mm-hmm. and yeah in a recent conversation frank white mentioned about we we need to figure out a lot of things uh, moving forward like how we're going to live out in space and from a health standpoint, from sustainability standpoint. And now when you guys are talking about the legal aspects, and it's like, it, it is, it's very impressive, isn't it? There's this big convergence of, we need to figure out all these things if we're going to be mm-hmm. out in space. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is a lot of work. And I think what people fail to realize is whatever we have here on our planet, there's like literally whatever we have here on our planet, there's an exact analog for that in space, or there'll be need for an analog for that in space. So like such things like space medicine, space law, even space fashion, right? Like for spacesuits or things for, you know, so something sustainable. If you're going to live there, you might not want to be rocking in a straight up astronaut suit the whole time. There's just things of that in even food, right? And space agriculture, all these things, things that we have on earth, there's definitely going to be a need for that in space. So that's why I like, I like to tell people that space is literally for everyone. You don't need to be a scientist. You don't even need a law degree to be involved in the space industry. Yeah. You just, you got to care. Yeah. But um, really. obviously we do need some people with, you know, strong legal backgrounds uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like yourself <laughs> because uh, yeah, uh, the rest of us, we're just, we're amateurs. Speaking of which, you yourself, you have a very strong, tailored background in space law. You went to the International Institute of the Air and Space Law at Leiden University, or rather, sorry, you're a graduate of that university. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in Holland, isn't it? Yep, Leiden. Yep. It's in the better land of the Netherlands. One of the, yeah, I love that place. It was a great program. And at the time, there was only one of four in the world where you could get certified. Um, Mississippi, which... People don't know this. They have the longest running space journal, space law legal journal. Um, there's one in Nebraska for people who are into the military or cyberspace, because even that's going to be a part of the space infrastructure. And then there is a school in McGill in Canada that's really big into um, space law. Yeah, in fact, I think Nathan or Chris was saying that that's currently that they have one of or if not one of the, the biggest library when it comes to space law. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so uh, while you were at uh, Leiden, you were part of the International Association for the Advancement of Space Safety, the yep. IAASS. Oh, yeah. So that's part of uh, ESA's uh, Business Incubation Center. And what we focused on there was, well, when I was working there, was third party liability in commercial human space flight because, you know, uh, we had Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin do the first commercial flights last year. So that's going to be more commonplace as we move forward. So and this is something that we need to, yeah, there needs to be a legal framework around it because mm-hmm. passengers aren't astronauts. There's an actual legal definition for what makes what it takes to be an astronaut. So when you're going to have commercial passengers in there, you need to, there needs to be something to govern them just in case, you know, any injuries happen. Yeah, that's definitely uh, my next question there. Um, so when it, when it comes to space law, I know this applies to where medicine is concerned. The laws that we have right now, they apply to everything up to the Kármán line, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're flying to suborbit with uh, Virgin Galactic or uh, Blue Origin, well, the flights are rather, are rather brief. But if mm-hmm. somebody had to perform medicine while they were still up there, it's technically, you know, it's like aviation law. But on the ISS, going to space, going to low Earth orbit there, there's a, a different framework in place. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, if an astronaut gets sick or hurt, um, as I understand it, it's, it's like, oh, that it's that country's uh, uh, concern. Like they, they uh, their, their fellow astronauts are responsible for them. Yes, right? yes, exactly. Yes, yes. That was an issue mm-hmm. as a raise because, yeah, well, a lot of the flights will be from, from the U.S. at this point. doesn't mean the passengers will be, right? So you could mm-hmm. have, 
have this from around the world. So you're going to need laws that regulate that regulate international passengers happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that's that's really it, isn't it? Yeah. In the future, and then not too distant future, people are going to be taken off from different parts of the world and going to space with carriers that are registered to this country. And yeah, it's like uh, going through all that is going to be so complicated. We need some kind of like a single document that just says, okay, this is what we're doing. And this is really yeah, interesting. I'm, yeah, because mm-hmm. um, when I was at Leiden, my my master's thesis was on the commerce, uh, on the regulation of commercial spaceports because that's going to be the foundation. That's where everyone, for, for those who don't know, everyone who will be flying into space will be flying from a spaceport. So mm-hmm. um, you need, and and people think, you know, the laws really matter just once you're on the, on the launch vehicle and into space. But like an airport, there's laws and regulations that to cover people on the ground, right? So yeah. you can have, you just even like labor laws, right? For people who are working the actual ground of the spaceport and you need things, the uh, space insurance becomes a thing in that matter too. There's, like, like, like I said earlier, anything that we have on Earth is going to be an analog for it for space. Even when we haven't left the planet yet, there's going to be mm-hmm. uh, those laws will come into play. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because these people are responsible for getting you on there. So, so yeah, it's like before before you fly, you're you're made aware of certain rules and conditions. Right. It's like, yeah, we're responsible for you. So we need you to understand what mm-hmm. how that works. And yeah. And it occurred to me, satellites, right? If they're colliding in liability, it's like, man, it's just like traffic laws and car insurance, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if they'll have no fault liability insurance there. Or It's like, no, no, you definitely failed the signal here. You, you failed mm. to file a, a renewed flight plan with uh, whoever. And, oh, and that's, yeah, that's yet another thing. Flight plans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Space traffic uh, awareness and space traffic management are going to be really, really big issues. Mm-hmm. Um, once more people start going up there, um, reminds me every time I think about that, it reminds me of the expanse and like, you know, like you have to have a transponder that, that for space situational awareness to make yeah. sure you're not going into other people's orbits. And it's some, some really exciting stuff. Yeah. In, in a way, this is all like what was once explored in fiction is now fast becoming a, a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, with, yes, uh, the, these discussions have been happening for years, but not in a serious legal way. They, they've been the stuff of uh, speculation. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Oh, well, that is neat. <laughs> it's always, I, it's always seems really exciting when that starts to happen too. Yeah, it? for sure. Yeah. So um, in, in terms of the near future, um, are there other plans for the Space Corps Foundation? Are, are there, New areas that you know you guys want to expand into, for example, the interview series. You know, do you have any more segments like that, uh, like uh, women of color in space lined up? And any yeah, uh, so we're, we plan on going into season two, into season two of the women of color series, mm-hmm. and then in fact, I just want to just interview just people of color, right? Because like it's important to have more people that look like me and get recognized for their talents to be in the space industry. So that's something that's super important. Like we've touched on earlier, the Stellar Decisis is going to be coming and the Space Bar Show. Outside of a Space Court, if I can plug this, I'm actually developing mm-hmm. a space game show, which will be cool. Yeah, it's like just a friendly competition, you know, just get what we'll be covering the, the topics of the week. 
And yeah, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, that sounds like is, fun. Yeah, and the whole point is to get, you know, just an average person interested in the space, right? Because mm-hmm. like the theme of this is that space is for everyone. So you want to get more people aware of what's happening in the industry. Well, yeah, I I don't feel like I did that justice there, that trend earlier, right? Because that's that's really a, a major point here, right? Is that space is becoming a lot more accessible. You know, it's like the representation is actually beginning, mm-hmm. beginning, not nowhere near, nowhere close to being right complete, but it's beginning to represent the the reality of the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this is not space is not for Americans and Russians alone. It's not for white men alone. It's there are more space agencies than ever before. There's commercial space entities and there are people who are working in the education law and outreach stuff coming from all continents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, personally, I find that really inspiring because it's like, well, for one, going to space is inspiring, knowing that this is something that everyone will be able to do. Or at least that's that's what these efforts are designed for. Yeah, knowing that that would be the reality is really, really encouraging. It's like, maybe we don't suck after all, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's, it, it's, yeah. It is a beautiful thing to think about. And I like to think about it in this way. Like, there is literally enough space in space for everyone. Like, the universe mm-hmm. keeps expanding there is enough oh. for everybody. So I would love to just see more people getting a piece of that pie. Can I quote you on that? I mean, for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's going to be part of the airwaves soon enough, but that is, that is brilliant. <laughs> There's enough space for everyone. And, and yes, the universe is constantly making more space. It's not like yeah. where, where there's a limit to the real estate, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely want to, Definitely want to quote you on that as many times as I can there. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, yes, McClay, thank you so much there for coming on and joining us and, you know, talking to the viewers about all this, this stuff there. And in the future, I, I would like to get you and, in fact, a few people on to talk about space law and space medicine and all the different aspects of it because it's like so many people saying, having the same message, just different mm-hmm. subjects. Yeah, it's like, let's get our heads together and talk about what this is going to look like. And I'm just going to hang back and take notes and try to turn that into a novel at some point. <laughs> yeah, that'd be all. I'd read it. I would definitely yeah. read it. And, oh, yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on, Matt. It's always a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, you too. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening. I'm Matt Williams. This has been Stories from Space. Have a good one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Stories from Space podcast with Matthew Williams. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.